You turn with us to the book of Second Chronicles. I believe a very familiar passage of Scripture to each of you tonight. Second Chronicles chapter number 7. I'm going to read three verses tonight and share just a few thoughts with you and we'll be done. And Lord willing, we'll go to the house here momentarily. But I want to mind the Lord. I want to do what the Lord has laid on our heart here tonight. Second Chronicles chapter number 7. And I want to begin reading in verse number 12. Second Chronicles chapter number 7 and verse number 12. The Bible says this, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, Or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. You may be seated. Our Father, God, as we bow in your holy name tonight, God, we're thankful, we're honored to be able to stand where we stand tonight. We're thankful, Lord, for your precious word. Lord, that you've allowed us to read from just tonight. God, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us tonight to preach. God, I pray, Lord, that you would preach to us this message. Lord, that you want to be heard tonight. God, I pray, Lord, that you'd use this stammering tongue of mine. God, I pray, Lord, that you'd help us not to stammer and stutter around, but God, that it'd be clear and it'd be plain and Father, we just pray, Lord, that you'd receive glory and honor by it. And Father, we pray tonight, if there's one that has a need, one that has a burden, Father, we pray that you'd meet right where they're at. And God, we love you today. We thank you and praise you, give you glory and honor. And it's in your holy name we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I thought tonight in this passage of Scripture that we read, it's I believe that, that it's the time of the dedication of the temple that Solomon had built. And we know that David uh, wanted, had a desire to build uh, the temple. David wanted to build it himself, but God would not allow it. Uh, David was able to go out and gather the material uh, that, he might, that his son Solomon might be able to build the temple. And we know today that, that Solomon uh, was able to build, I believe, I, I believe this, I believe it was the greatest structure that was ever built. I believe it was the greatest building, I believe it was the most expensive building, even in today's times, in today's standards, I believe it was the, the greatest structure that was ever built, it was the, the temple that Solomon had built in those days, and I believe it's the time of the dedication of that temple. And, and to give you just a little bit about the events that took place there during that day, uh, there was, it was a seven day event and we understand that there were a number of sacrifices that had been made. There, in fact, uh, there was 22,000 oxen uh, that were sacrificed during this time. There was 120,000 sheep that were sacrificed during this time. It was a time, I believe, of rejoicing. It was a time of celebration. It was a time of coming together. I believe that it was a time of revival. I believe it was a time that God moved. In fact, the Bible says that the presence of God was so real, the presence of God was so powerful in that place, that there was a fog that settled down in the temple that day, and the priest flee from the temple. They ran out from it in fear that God God Himself had settled down 
down and moved right in their very presence and, and took uh, abode there in that temple that day. And you think about this. I thought that, that it was a time, it was a time of rejoicing. It was a time of, of great celebration. And you know, I, I thought about, and, and Lord willing here in just a few weeks, I, I, let me just say this. I want to just stop right here just for a moment and say this. I believe that whether, whether it's helping anybody else or not, I believe the last few weeks that the, the messages that the Lord has given me, I believe has been preparing myself, if nobody else, for revival. I believe that we need a reviving. I believe that we, we need a revival. I believe that we need a, a renewing and a restoring of our soul. And I thought that the last few messages that the Lord has given me, whether it's benefited anybody else or not, I don't know. But I know that it's benefited me. And I know that I believe that, that God is preparing, uh, hopefully preparing me for revival. I, let me just say this, I want revival. I want revived. I, I want. I want restored. I want. Re- hey, I just want a touch from God tonight. I want God to come right down where I'm at, and I want to feel Him in in His power and in His presence, and and allow Him to move upon on my heart, and my life. But you know, oh, I thought about. Well, I, I just don't want a, a a set night of services. I don't want just just a, a social gathering, if you will. But I want a time that we can come together and we can feel the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost of God and know that we're right in the presence of God and know that the power of God is around us and know that we can be revived by God showing up in our place and right on time tonight. But you know, I thought to think and there's times I thought about there's a generation, there's a generation that's coming up and I believe that they're, they're content right where they're at simply because I believe they're, they've never even experienced revival of their own. They've never really experienced a true revival of themselves. And I think back to those times, I, I think about when Kelly stands and testifies, I, maybe the night that they were saved, and there were 50-some that maybe were saved that night, and, and the revival that took place in those times. And, and I remember uh, Pastor Gary Tucker talking about a, a revival going on sometime many, many years ago. And they, they had a wonderful service on a Sunday night. And, and some of them said, well, I'm going to come out Monday night. Some of them come out Monday night and about three or four months later they finally shut it down when men and women and boys and girls got a longing and a desire and a stirring in their hearts and their lives to draw closer to the God of heaven and they had a true revival that's what I'm talking about tonight is having a true revival not just a scheduled night of services where we come together and we come together but let's have a true revival tonight I thought, my goodness, you know, you think about this tonight, the average church, uh, uh, the average church, we go to a lot of places, and you know, there's something special here at Union Valley. Do you know that you don't get what you've got here at Union Valley everywhere you go? I'll, I'll promise you that tonight. There's something special that happens and takes place here at Union Valley, but, but you know, I thought the, the average church is cold, it's dried up. It's indifferent, it's dead, it's lifeless, it's full of cliques and full of different groups and it's full of carnality and full of fussing and carrying on and strife um, amongst themselves. You think about that tonight, but you know what? And the only thing that's going to change that, the only thing that's going to make a difference in that is if God Himself would come down and touch that church and encourage those people. You know, I believe we need a touch from heaven tonight. 
We need a touch from God tonight. Hey, I just thought about this. If God's not in it, I don't want no part of it. I don't want to. I don't want to fellowship with with anybody that's not uh, that don't have the same convictions that maybe we have. But you know, I thought maybe uh, revival. And I thought about this. Just I'll just share this with you. I thought maybe. If I, if I was to, this is for you, Brother Adam, if I was to, to title this message tonight, it would simply be this, Keys for Revival. Keys for Revival. And I believe there's some things here that, that we can see, but, but you know, I thought we've gone from, from just, we've gone from having a, a prayer meeting, you think about this tonight with me, we've gone from having what we, we might call a prayer meeting to having just a social meeting. And I thought we've gone from... excuse me, from having altar calls to just fellowship halls. Now you bear with me here just for a moment. There's a lot of lot of places that we go, and there's a lot of uh, play, uh, churches that we go to, and and you know what? I, I I was talking to the kids this morning downstairs about about the Spirit of God and about the Holy Ghost of God, and, and not quenching the Spirit. But I th- somehow I got on it this morning, and but but you know I, I said this. I said that a lot of places there there's there's dryness in the church. The church is dried up and, and, and there, the Spirit is just not there like maybe it once was before. And you know it's so quiet and it's so dry. You know what? It's okay to shout. It's okay to raise your hands and praise the Lord. It's okay to get up and run a lap or two if you want, if it's in the Spirit of God. But you know what? A lot of times if we're not careful, well, we'll dry up. We'll sit right where we're at and we'll dry up and you will, we'll, get, we'll get to the place where uh, maybe it'll get so quiet in the house of God you'll hear a burp, uh, a nap burp across the room. We've got to be careful. Got to be careful, but you know we've gone. There's there's some places that that the church has drifted to, and the church has gone to. And and I thought during this time in Solomon's time, I, it, it was a great it was a great revival. I believe it was a great moving and stirring of the Holy Ghost of God. And you know, I thought as a result of of the church dying, and as a result of uh, of the church, uh, you, you know, just coming or going from having prayer meetings to to, to social gatherings, and then now the, the worship. Worship has turned into inter- entertainment and preaching is playing. And, and, and you think about that tonight, church. And my goodness, uh, there, there's, there's people that are dying, sitting right in the pews where they're at tonight. Simply because the man of God, the so-called man of God, is not uh, doing his share and doing his part. And, but, but you know, maybe it's up to us as, w- as well to mind the Spirit of God and, and, and to put in our, our share and pull our load and, and take care of our part of it. But you know, I thought as a result of the churches uh, not taking up the responsibilities that the churches should, should have, I thought about this. You know, I believe as a result of that, our nation is corrupt. Our children are wayward. You think about that. Uh, there, there was things, and, and Sarah mentioned there just a moment ago that Annabeth went to that winter formal last night, and she come home, and some of the things that she said that she saw and maybe witnessed—it's it, unimaginable what's going on in the in the schoolhouses today. You know, it wasn't that long ago that I was in school. And I look back and some of the things that, that Andrew and Annabeth has told me that's gone on and what's taken place in the, in the schoolhouses, it, it just, it, it's staggering to me to think that those things are happening in the days that we live in today. Right over here, not too far from where we're standing just now, in these schoolhouses over here. 
And you know, I thought because, maybe it's simply because of, of the, the churches have not done their share. The churches have not done our part. And, and because of we have, we have become lax and we, we've just sat back and, hey, we've got what we need. Let, let them figure it out for their own. That's the wrong attitude to have. You know, we, my goodness, we ought to be able to share what God has given us in hopes that someone else might be able to come and, and, and partake of the Lord Himself. But you know, I thought, I thought about this. In, when God, when God come to Solomon, I, I thought, you know, during that day, there were, if you read and study there, you'll find that I believe there were a, a 3,000 voice choir that sang at the dedication service of the, of the temple. There were a 3,000 voice choir that sang, and I don't, I don't remember the number of Levites, the, the, the priests that were there. There were thousands of them. There were literally thousands of priests that were there that day. And you think about the whole congregation of the Jews, the Israelites that were gathered. The whole nation were gathered together. And I thought, you know, when, when God came to Solomon, I thought, well, why did He not come in the presence of all those, those, those choir members, those, that 3,000 voice choir. Why didn't he approach Solomon during then? Why didn't he approach him uh, in front of the, the, the thousands of, of priests that were there? Why didn't he approach him and, and, and bring out that, this word here in ver, verse number 14? Why didn't he uh, approach him in, in front of the whole congregation of the Israelites that day? But if you'll notice, look in, notice in verse number 14 he, what God told him. He said this. In, in other words, if you back up and look in verse number 13, it says, If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence to my people. In other words, what God is saying, no matter what may come, no matter what's going to, what's going to be handed down to us, we're, no doubt we're going to face trying times, we're going to face hard times, we're going to face uh, troublesome times. But He said this, when those times come, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. They're coming. If you hadn't already been there, they're on their way. But when we face those trying times, Notice what he said in verse number 14. He said, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. And I thought, you know, that well, why didn't God give that word? You look back with me in verse number 12. It said this, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night. And said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. Now, that tells me that God, I believe, came to Solomon. The Bible says by night. I believe he singled him out. In other words, and, and I believe because of, of that one man, that one individual, you think about that, that one individual... Maybe it was, it was because of Solomon that day at the dedication of that temple that the power of God and the presence of God came down so real that the men had to run and flee from the presence of God out of the temple itself. Now you think about that because of one individual. And I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful tonight? Wouldn't it be wonderful tonight if there would be one person at Union Valley Gospel Tabernacle would stand up and say, I'm not going in the direction that everybody else is going. Let, let me just say this. It, it's, it's okay not to be normal. 
It's okay not to, to get comfortable and get in a position of, of, of formality, if you will. But I believe it's okay to stand up and say, hey, I'm going in the ways of the Lord. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody stood up and said, I'm, I'm not going to go with that mold, but I'm going to break the mold. I'm going to go this way, the way of the Lord. And I thought about this. Wouldn't it be wonderful if one of these teenagers got a hold of God tonight? Listen to me, young people. Listen to me. Hey, I, wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody got a hold of, of Jesus tonight and took him over here to Sissonville High School and there'd be a revival breakout in the schoolhouses? Would, wouldn't it be wonderful, young people, you teenagers tonight, to get right with God and take Jesus to the schoolhouses? My goodness, I think that's what we need. I think that's what we need is somebody to stand up and say, I'm, I'm tired of what we're, what we're getting. I'm tired of, uh, of the, the way we're going. And, and, and maybe step up a little bit closer. There's some things I want you to notice. A couple of three things here and we'll be done. I thought about this. I thought, and I believe we can find them right here in this scripture that we read tonight. Now you think about this. Just one person, one individual... If one individual would do these things, I believe that it would perhaps turn this world upside down. You think about it. First of all, I believe if there would be one tonight that would first of all humble themselves. Now, you might say, well, I'm going to humble myself. Well, you better hang on just a minute. Because there's some things that has to happen in order for us to humble ourselves down and truly be humble. Now, notice what it says in verse number 14. The Bible says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. So that tells me tonight that, that we've got to humble ourselves down low. Now, in, in 1 Peter uh, chapter number 5 and verse 5 and 6, the Bible says this, God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble, and in verse 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. And then Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, He said if we would humble ourselves that He would exalt us in due time. And then also you'll find in Isaiah chapter number 53, I'm sorry, in chapter number 57, uh, the Bible says that God, God said, I will revive the humble in spirit. And I thought about this. I thought, you know, today we're maybe content being in the flesh. We're, we're, we're content with, with the flesh so much that now it's driving humility away. Is that possible? That we're so content right where we're at that we're not able to even humble ourselves down. And you know, I thought it takes a special person to truly be humble. Uh, it takes a special person to truly uh, get down and, and humble themselves down in the right manner to where God can use them and God can work with them. And you know, God won't use a, a haughty, uh, uh, high-minded, a proud spirit about you. He, there's nothing that God can do with that. But when we come to Him with a contrite spirit and a broken heart and, and truly humble ourselves down, I, now I know that's the way we got to come to Him when we, when we come to Him to be saved, but I believe even, even yet as a, as a believer, you know what? We ought to be broken every now and then. We ought to come to, hey, we ought to, come to Him and, and just, I mean, just drag ourselves in. looks like something that the cat drug in. And say, Lord, would you help me? Lord, would you help me? I can't do nothing else. 
but I need your help. And you know, I believe that God can work with somebody like that. God can take somebody like that and, and do something great with them to, in a service tonight. But, but you know, I thought, uh, I believe tonight there's a lot of churches are, that are dying and are, that are fading away and are, they're, they're, they're falling apart is simply because that people are stiff-necked, they're proud, they're high-minded, they're, they're haughty and, and in spirit and they're, they're, they're self-willed and they're not willing to humble themselves down and because of that, those churches are dying and are simply fading away. Humble ourselves. I believe that's the first step in revival is truly humbling ourselves in the sight of God. And I thought about this. The next thing I want you to notice is simply this. I, I believe that first of, or second of all, we need to be honest. We need to get honest. Not only should we humble ourselves, but I believe that we need to get honest. Do you know it, being honest isn't always easy? And sometimes uh, being honest, will it'll hurt. It'll cut us if we're truly honest every now and then. Uh, honest to the point where we're going to tell on ourselves and confess our faults. <laughs> the Bible says in verse number 14 that we've got to humble ourselves and then we've got to turn from our wicked ways. Now how, how can we turn from our wicked ways until we recognize and realize that we're going in the right direction? And in order to do that, we've got to say, hey, I'm wrong. And that's not always easy to do, is it? Because of our pride. Well, the, the, the second part is get, even getting in the way of the, the first part of humbling ourselves down. Because of pride, it's hard to say, hey, I'm not wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm right. I'm heading in the right direction. But we've got to be careful, do we not? Do you know, you know God knows all about you tonight? <laughs> All we've got to do is just confess. Lord, I'm wrong. I've done this wrong. I've said that. I've done that. Whatever it may be. And we've got to humble ourselves to the point and say, Lord, help me. And be honest about it. Be honest and be sincere about it. You know, the Bible says in 1 John chapter number 1, in verse number 9, the Bible says, If we confess our faults, confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, every now and then, every now and then we just need to be honest with ourselves and be honest with the Lord. You know, He knows all about it already and I believe He's just waiting. He's just waiting for you to confess to Him and tell Him. <laughs> you know, one of the hardest things to do is to be honest with ourselves, is it not? I'll just say this, I know that I'm fat. And sometimes that's brutally honest. <laughs> but I was thinking one day, I said, <laughs> I said that to say this, I was thinking one day, and this goes back a few years ago, we was at home working out in the yard just shortly after we, we built the house, and I don't know if Andrew even remembers it or not. I don't even remember how old he was at the time, but he was a lot younger than he is now. And we were out in the yard working, and out of nowhere, out from behind the house, here come a, here come a black snake. And that, and that thing, I know it was, it was five foot long. It was a big snake. And it chased us. 
I mean, do you, re- do you remember that, Andrew? I mean, we was in the back part of the yard on the, on the side of the house, and, and, and here come that snake. And, I mean, it seen us, and it literally chased us. And I ran and grabbed Andrew and ran around the front of the house and put him up on the porch. Well, it was trying to get up on the porch, the snake was. And I r- ran him in on the house, in the house, and I ran in the garage. on a snake, you know, you'll find that a snake, uh, there's something about a snake that I learned that I believe we can, we can use here tonight and learn something from it. You know, that it's, okay, I, later on, after that we had that encounter with that big black snake there at the house a few years ago, I was in the crawl space of the house, and I was... <laughs> Way back in the corner and had a flashlight and I shone and lo and behold there was a there was a skin, a snake skin in there. I don't know if Sarah even knows about this or not, but but there was a snake skin underneath that house. I know it was that long. And I'm thinking that I killed that black snake after I saw that skin. I'm hoping. But you know, I thought about about that snake skin. And you know that a snake will shed its skin uh, on average about four times a year. And there's something within side of a snake. There's something uh, that, that's on the inside of a snake that, that has a desire to grow. But because of the outside, but because of the flesh, it's hindered. Because of the flesh, it can't grow. It's hindered and it's held back because of the flesh. Now, it would be something if that snake was to be able to stand up and just zip it down and step right out of that skin, but it can't do that. It does not have the ability within itself to shed that flesh. Do you know what that snake will do? If you study that and you'll find out that a snake will go to a rock and the snake will beat its head on a rock and then... And then what happens is the, the skin begins to come loose. And l- now let me just share this with you. The first place that the skin comes loose on that snake is right around its mouth. Now somebody said that, that to, to recognize a poisonous snake, if you look at it on its upper lip, they say there's like a yellow, a yellow mark on its upper lip. But I'm not getting down... I don't know about you, but I'm not getting down close enough to recognize whether that thing's wearing lipstick or not. You, you help yourself if that's what you want to do. But I thought about that snake. You know, when it beats its head on that rock, it'll, it'll go and it'll, it'll rub its head and beat its head on that rock. And then the skin on that thing's right around its mouth will begin to loosen up. And I thought, you know, maybe the first place that you and I need to sacrifice our flesh is right around our mouth. You know, I understand that when that 
skin begins to turn loose around that snake's mouth, that what it does, it, it, it'll, it'll breathe in real hard. And then it'll exhale out. It'll breathe in real hard. And, and what it does, it's expanding that flesh. And what happens is the air begins to move. The wind begins to move underneath the skin, underneath uh, the, that flesh, and begins to separate it from what wants to grow on the inside. And I thought, you know, every now and then we just need the Holy Ghost of God to pass by, the Spirit of God and the wind, the wind of God to move by. I thank God when He moves by my way. And sometimes I get in the flesh, and sometimes I, I do things I ought not do. But you know, the Spirit comes by and reminds me, hey, you ought not do those things. You ought not say those things. I'm thankful for the wind of God that passes by my way that I might be able to grow. But you think about that snake when... The wind comes through and it begins to make a separation between what wants to grow on the inside and the flesh and the outer part. And, and then it'll slither its way right out of that, that skin and it'll go on. And, you know, if it would not do those things, it could not grow. It, it gets to a place where it can allow itself to grow. And I thought about this tonight. How many of us are are got a hold of things tonight how many of us are are to the point where it, it's not you, you think about this it, it it's not always easy to lay certain things down it's not always easy uh, to, to let loose of things that are in our life that maybe we feel like we've got to hold on to and I thought maybe at times you know the spirit of God will come by and say hey there's area how many of us have areas in our life that no doubt God has pointed out in our lives that we need help with. Amen. There's areas in my life that, you know, I think about that old song, He's Still Working on Me. I believe this. I believe that when, and I've seen it happen, even, even I mean, just vile people, wretched people, awful people, and God save them, and what happens? Instantly, God removes things from their life. I've, I've seen that. And I believe it with all my heart that God has done those things. But then there's maybe other certain areas of our life that it's a work in progress. It, it, it's a growing process. And, and, and there's areas, no doubt, even after the fact that we've gotten saved and gotten born again, there's areas of our life that we need to work on. There's areas of our life and there's things in our life that maybe we hold on to and say, Lord, I can handle this one. I've got this. I'm in control of this. When simply all we need to do is just lay it down at the feet of Jesus and trust Him with it and, and give it up to Him and turn it over to Him tonight. But you know, I thought, I thought about a fella that was trying to catch a monkey. He, he wanted to have a pet monkey. And he come to find out you, you can't just go buy a pet monkey. you got to contact somebody and they've got to go try to catch this monkey and they, and he was asking well how do you you set a cage and put food in there oh no you can't do that to a monkey what they do is they take a gourd and they'll hollow that gourd out and cut a little old hole in that gourd and they'll put some peanuts in that gourd and they'll tie it to the base of a tree and those monkeys are so curious they'll come by and they'll pick those gourds up and they'll shake them they can hear those peanuts rattling in there and then he'll poke his hand down in that hole and he'll grab a hold of the peanut 
And when he makes a fist, he's hung. He can't get out. And do you know that monkey is so silly that when somebody comes by to capture that monkey, he will not let loose of it. He'll hold on to whatever it is, that peanut, inside of that gourd. He will not let loose. In so much that he's brought into captivity. And I thought about what do I have in my life tonight? And what do you have in your life tonight that you've got a hold of? That's got you bound in captivity. That's got you bound down to the point that you're caught, you're hung. And you won't, you're not willing to let loose of it. You're not willing to turn loose of it tonight. What we need to do is just surrender over to Jesus. What, we, what I need to do is just take my hands from it and say, Lord, take it. You take it and use it. Whatever it is, we need to surrender over to Him tonight. And I, the last thing I want to leave you with is simply this. I believe we need to humble ourselves. The, the, the keys for revival. I believe we need to humble ourselves. And I believe we need to be honest with ourselves. If, if nothing else, let's be honest with the Lord. He already knows about it. And we need to be honest with ourselves and be honest with the Lord. And then last of all, I believe that we ought to have a hunger to seek the face of Jesus. Notice what it says there. In the, about middle way down, maybe a, a third of the way down in that verse number 14. And seek my face. I believe we ought to have a desire. And I believe we ought to have a hunger. I believe we ought to have a longing to seek the face of Christ. You know, I thought I'll share this with you and I'll be done. And I, I think I shared this with you some time ago. I don't remember. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. But I, I remember hearing the story one time about a... A, a college professor at Wheaton College, and it was a it was a Christian a, a college of theology, and there was a, a man there by the name of Doctor Orr. He was a theologian. He was a, pre, a professor of theology at this Wheaton College, and he he was training ministers basically. And this goes back back into the nineteen late thirties or early forties. Uh, goes back several years ago. And he decided to gather up about 30 young ministers that was under his teaching there at Wheaton College. And he was going to take them over to England and they were going to tour the house of John Wesley. You know, the great evangelist that uh, started many churches and, and the great revivals during those days of John Wesley and, and his brother. And the many songs that you sing in your hymn book tonight were written by John Wesley, but anyhow, they, they made the trip over and they went in and just a little old meager home there and they walked in and said, here's the kitchen, here's his study and showing them different, and there was even instruments there in, in, the, in the kitchen that you, just like he had just left. And they went upstairs and there was his bedroom and there was his bed and they said that this was the very bed where John Wesley had died. And there was something that one of the, those young preachers noticed that over on the side of the bed there was two places in the floor and they said well there's two places over here in this floor and they asked that professor what it was and they said oh that that's where uh, John Wesley every day of his life even when he got sick and wasn't able to walk he would climb out of the bed he would fall out of the bed and that's where his knees would hit the floor and for hours and for hours and for hours 
at a time, John Wesley would lay across that bed with his knees planted on the floor right there, and he would cry out to the God of heaven. Well, it wasn't long they had to leave, and they went back downstairs and got up on the bus, went outside, got up on the bus, and the professor began to count, and he said, wait a minute, bus driver, wait a minute, there's, there's something wrong. He said, we brought 30, 30 young men over here with us, and there's only 29 on the bus. And he said, one of them's missing. So Dr. Orr went back in, and he looked through the kitchen, looked through the study, and went upstairs in Mr. Wesley's bedroom, and he peeked around the corner, and there was a little old young preacher boy on his knees. Right where John Wesley's knees had been planted thousands of times, no doubt. And he was crying and weeping. And he said he could hear, Dr. Orr said that he can hear this young minister praying. And said, Lord, do it again. He said, God, do it again. He said, God, please do it one more time. And he said, Dr. Orr finally went over and he laid his hand up on the shoulder of that young man and said, young man, it is time to leave. And he said he looked up and the tears were running down his face. His shirt was wet where he would cried so much. And he finally got up and he walked down the steps. And, and, and that young minister said, Dr. Orr, I believe God can do it again. He said, I'm, I believe he can do it again. And Dr. Orr looked at him and said, young man, what is your name? And he said, my name's Billy. Billy Graham. It was Billy Graham. Hey, you think about the God that met Dr. or John Wesley there that day. You think about the, the God that, that ministered to John Wesley. And, and the God that ministered to a, a little old ruddy boy by the name of Billy Graham. Say, God, please do it again. And you think about the multiplied millions of people, no doubt hundreds of thousands of people, that maybe that, those men had led to Christ. God, would you please do it again? I wonder if there'd be somebody here tonight would stand up and say, please, God, would you do it again? I wonder if there'd be a, an individual. I wonder if there'd be a man or a woman or a young child. I wonder if there'd be a teenager tonight and say, God, would you please do it again? Would you please work in my life to the point that revival would come? I believe that God can take one person, one individual. I thought about this. How's the best way to get somebody's attention? You know, there's been times when uh, over here at the house, and, and there was one time we had, we had a, an activity over there with a bunch of the kids from the church, and there were maybe several of you all were there, and, and I tried to light that fire over there. Remember that one time? And I about burned every hair off of my leg over there one day uh, back in that summer. But, but I thought about this. You know, you go over here somewhere, and you stack up a bunch of brush, and you build you a big hot fire. Everybody that comes by, you know what they're doing? They're rubbernecking. They're looking. They're taking a glance of what's taking place over here. What's happening over here? You get on fire for God. You get on fire for God and just watch and see what happens. People's going to come take notice. And I wonder if there'd be somebody here tonight. Would you stand with me? I wonder if there'd be somebody here tonight that would get on fire for God and say, Lord, would you please do it again? God, help me to humble myself down. Help me, Lord, to, to get away, do away with my pride and the selfishness and foolishness that I have in my life. Help me, Lord, to humble myself down. Help me, Lord, to be honest with myself. Help me, Lord, to be honest with God. And help me, Lord, to have a hunger and a longing and a desire to seek the face of Jesus. I wonder if there would be somebody like that tonight that would come and say, Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. Start a revival 
and start it with me. You know, I believe that God's not looking in God's not looking in the numbers. He didn't go. He didn't go to the great numbers. But you know what he did? He singled Solomon out. He said, Solomon, if this is what we'll do, if this is what my people will do, then this is what I'll do. And I believe that God showed up in a mighty fashion. And I wonder tonight if there'd be somebody that would say, Lord, I surrender over to you. I give it all to you. And trust him with it tonight. And watch what God can do in your life.